You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. So, if you got your Bibles, we go up to Hebrews. We're going to continue with part two from last week. Um, how many of you guys went home and read Job? Like, anybody go home and just check out Job? <laughs> All right, yeah. I know some people are like, I want to read Job. It's like, ugh, so depressing. Read the parts, I mean, read all of it, but the parts I'm referring to specifically, I would encourage you to go back and read again, uh, chapters 32 through 40, chapter 32 through 40. It's the conversation of where God is responding to Job and all of his buddies about their accusations against God and what they think about God. It's, it's a great commentary. I'm going to read you some this morning again, not as much as last week, just remind you of a couple of unique things that he said, but before we do, let's look at Hebrews, let's look at our scripture, and then while we're talking about this series entitled Unshakable, all right, so Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and verse 25, says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those who did not escape when they refused him who, was, uh, who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, and this is from Hosea, or uh, from uh, Haggai, the uh, prophetic word in Haggai. But verse 27 says, this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. So I just want to encourage you, if you see things shake and fall, um, rest assured that it's okay. Don't sweat it. Because if it was God, it wouldn't fall. Right? Like everybody, I, I'm going to say a couple of things, and, and I know it, it'll probably like, if you're uber, like nationalist, like mentality, we'll let that sink in a minute. Just let it sink in a minute. I did say it. Yeah, I did. If your uber-nationalist mentality is so country first that you've forgotten that God is first, this is going to bother you because your nation might shake a little bit. And if it does, we're, this is not your kingdom. Your kingdom is of God, not of the United States of America. I love my country. Thank God for it. More... Uh, missions have been sent across the world in our day and age. But if you go back and look at other nations, they also expanded the gospel as much as we have. Don't think we're the only ones. We're not. Doesn't mean I'm putting down our country. It just means be careful that you don't put your country before God. God should be first. And so if you see things shaking your country, are you more concerned about the shaking of your country or the fact that people are falling away from Christ? What breaks your heart more? Your political party or those who are without the Lord? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to remember those things, right? Because when things shake around you, you go, man, what's wrong? I don't know what's happened in my country. It's changed so much. I know. I get it. But if that's your foundation, you're going to be really, really upset maybe in the next few years. If this, what little we have seen has really bothered you, man, I'm just telling you, the next couple of years can really throw you. That's why you got to get back to the foundation of who God is, what he says, trust him. But he says, things will be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That means, as he reads, Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know what Haley was saying this morning about lightning or whatever storms, knocking out infrastructure and whatever else like that. That's just tools. That's not worship. Like, we worship with or without electricity, we don't need electricity. It just helps with some things. Helps us, helps you, and things like that. But it's not necessary to worship God. You're not dependent on any of those things. We will worship God if there is no electricity. If the heat power grid throws everything out, it doesn't matter. We'll get out in the parking lot, maybe not on Georgia, like July, but, or August. We might have to do night services or something. If it's like, you know, 
But you don't, we don't stop worshiping God because of a power issue. We don't stop serving God because of things we see around us that shake. He's telling you it will happen. So we talked about this. So is that what you're seeing in the last couple of years? Is what you're experiencing, what I've experienced, the shaking that you've seen, the instability that you've experienced, the things that have bothered you, the things in your nation, friends, churches, you name it, whatever's around you, school system, I, I don't know, whatever it has bothered you, the things you've seen that's changed so much, is it possible that what's happening is God is saying, hey, look, you know, it's not that he's causing it, but he's just saying the more people pull away from him, is it possible that it's not going to hold up very well? And maybe it's something to get our attention again to say, hey, what are we building our lives on? Is it, are we building our lives on the faith in Jesus Christ and the foundation of his word, or is it sinking sand? It's good every now and then just to revisit what it is our faith is being built on. So it's clear there's going to be a shaking and the question I would have is, when we all ask these questions of why, why this, why that, I would encourage you, go back and read Job, because I'll read you a couple of verses, but when God answers these questions to Job, Job is questioning so many things about God, and God begins to ask him, not, I sort of say silly, not silly, but I, I said this with all due respect, kind of snarky things back at Job. I'm going to give you a few in case you missed last week, but just real quick. In Job 38, verse 1, he said this. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And we said what? Just because people talk doesn't mean they have knowledge. Think about it in a moment. I know there's nothing on the screen today, so you, boy, you really are paying attention to me. Maybe we just leave it off for the next couple of weeks. Wow, I've never seen so many eyeballs look at me. Well, this is crazy. You know, just because people talk doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. And just because they have a following doesn't mean they're... You know, something to listen to. I mean, I'm sorry, the Kardashians have a great following. But I mean, if you're following them as for like life skills, you might want to rethink your role there in that relationship. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? Come on, somebody, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, so God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, gird up your lungs like a man. Like, be a man, Job. I love that. And I'll ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, I'll show you next week. The video I was going to show you about Jupiter's crazy stuff. But we'll, we'll show it to you next week, okay? But where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He says, tell me if you have understanding, Job. Who set its measurements? Since you know. Or who stretched the line on it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or, Job, who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth and went out from the womb? Meaning that... When water engulfed the earth, you could take this two ways. You could look at it from the, uh, when God created and caused waters to cover the earth, or the flood of Noah. When it broke through the canyons and crevices, you know, and, and I'm going to show you some stuff with science, but every time I read and listen to more science, science, I'm not afraid of it. You shouldn't be afraid of it. I know they use terms like evolution and different things like that, but I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of what the terms they use. Every time they talk, they only confirm more about God. Every single time I see more and more about what they find, they have these new telescopes like, oh my gosh, we found a planet that's like so much bigger than Earth. And I'm like, that's nothing. You keep building bigger telescopes, just wait till you find more. Like, it's, it's flipping them out, man. Anyway, he says, who enclosed the sea doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? Meaning, who stopped that? I mean, the flood happened. 40 days and 40 nights, it was everywhere. It burst out from the earth. Who stopped it? 
You say, well, the water ran out. If you study uh, scientific and geological studies, go look and you could Google this stuff. I don't have time to get into all of it. But go look about the mass of water that's underneath the United States of America. It'll freak you out. If you're scared of stuff like storms and climate and everything else, go Google the amount of water volume sitting under you right now. The, we would be gone. There is so much water under us right now, under us, in the ground, underneath. It's a body of water enough to flood the whole country. It's crazy. Well, who stopped that from coming up? Well, God did. But, but he asked Job, uh, do you know anything about me doing that? <laughs> what do you know about that, Job? <laughs> so, anyway, let's see, he's a little snarky, right? So he says, when I made a cloud, it's garment, the earth's garment, talking about the atmosphere. A thick, nar- thick darkness is a swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt on its doors. And I said, this is as far as you can come and no further. And here shall your proud wave stop, talking about the ocean. He, did you know anything about that, Job? He said, have you ever in your life committed the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? Now, can I just stop him? And what be shaken out? The wicked. I'm going to say it again. The wicked. Listen, little Christians, I love you. Some of y'all are so sweet. You're sweeter than Jesus. You think that, oh, it's just so sad when someone has to deal with some consequences. Wicked people get what they deserve. People who hurt kids need to be dealt with. People who drop bombs on innocent civilians and nations need to be dealt with. Wickedness should not be allowed to go and say, well, maybe God will change him. Maybe God will change him. Let's put him in confinement and see if it happens. Consequences are necessary, Christians. God does not. I know he says, vengeance is mine. That means you don't need to be the avenger. The avenger. I know it's big movies in the last year. You're not the avenger, okay? God is. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But here's what you do. God has instituted law and enforcement and, mil- and military and police, and they're the ones that can handle stuff for you. They're really good at it, too. See, I know it gets quiet because, yeah, but, uh, but uh, listen, the Bible says they do not bear the sword, referring to the Romans at the time, they don't bear the sword in vain. Like these little guys who get cute and put their little videos on TV, spitting in front of an officer's face and cussing them out and all that stuff, they're idiots. You shouldn't pay attention to these people. They're fools. And you're lucky because half the people in your city and county, the, I wouldn't say the majority, but many, many of your, at least I can say it from my son's city and many of the county, I know the sheriff's department, many of them are believers. They, their heart breaks over what they see. And they can't just go in and do anything they want to do but you understand, they're not all what you see on TV. Now, that don't mean you don't run into some sometimes. They'll tell you they can't stand it when it happens because it gives them a bad name. But I'm just telling you, there's more good than not. But don't pay, these guys that put that stuff on TV, they would fire me. Because the first one to spit in my face, I'd be done. Put the badge down, the clothes, the gun, everything. Let's go, ball. Like I, I just lost that job anyway. I, I just, I can't. I'm not. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I don't even know how to do that. I'm not, I would love to tell you I could. And if it was for persecution for the faith, okay, that's different. But man, if somebody comes up and does that to you, you don't look at me like you're so holy, like you're just going, oh no, I just, oh, thank you, Lord, may I have another? <laughs> you're lying. And you know it. I know half of you guys in here, you're lying if you look at me like you're holy. Give me the response out of you. But he says the wicked will be shaken out of it. That's okay. Man, sometimes wicked people need to understand they're not okay. It's not okay to do what they're doing. It needs to stop. 
But as long as you give them a pass, they're going to keep doing it. Anyway, he said this. He says, um, or, or, do you know, from the wicked, their lot is withheld, and from the uplifted, their arm is broken. So he goes and asks these questions to Job. And he asks these, these are the really good ones I, I was going to show on the screen for you, but I'll just read them to you. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Great thing to go watch. The Challenger Deep uh, um, uh, docudrama with um, James Cameron, the guy who made Titanic. Okay, he's not just a movie guy. This guy's a genius. Like, he really is. He's a genius that his day job is making movies so he can go explore stuff. He's, he's like a little Jacques Cousteau, you know what I mean? You know, Google him too, okay? Anyway, go and check this little docudrama out. You can get it on, like, National Geographic, Disney, YouTube, whatever. But go watch. He built this sub, given all the conversation about that, sub, that little submersible thing that imploded. Go listen to his commentary. Watch him. He did it. He went to the deepest part of the ocean that we know of, sat on the bottom of the thing, and looked around. Crazy stuff, man. But look, God is asking Job, have you ever entered into that or walked the recesses of the deep? Now, <laughs> I don't know what the conversation will be between God and James Cameron, but I think James might be the only guy, except for two other guys in the 60s that did it in a, in a nuclear sub. Go look at that. It's, it's crazy. He gets down there, he looks around, he thought he'd see there's nothing there. He thought he was going to be all this stuff. He got some samples and what? There's just nothing. There's no life down there. It's like the moon. There's nothing there. Nothing to see. He then asked Job, have you understood the expanse of, this, of the earth? I was going to show you this on Jupiter. Uh, you can Google this. The red spot on Jupiter. If you look at the picture, the red spot, which is like the size of a golf ball compared to a beach ball, the red spot on Jupiter. You can put two planet Earths inside the red spot. So for those of you who are worried about climate change, I'm saying take care of the earth. I'm not picking when I say that. I mean, I try to do my best. I don't throw trash on the floor. I hate it when people throw their crap out. In the, and I said, yes, it is, because that's what it is. They throw it out going down the road in front of my house because they think they live on the dump road. That's what they call it. I can't stand it. it drives me crazy. Some old boy, and I say it because that's, yeah, he's driving his little truck. You know, he throws the thing out the window. Man, look, if I ever catch him, I'm going to throw it back. In Jesus' name, I love him. Man, brother, stop being a litter bug. I don't think any of you guys are, right? Take care of the planet. That's common sense. But if that makes you afraid of carbon and climate and the sun and everything else, when I saw that, I thought, there's a planet out there that's so big, two of ours sits on a spot on this planet. That's crazy. And that's just in our solar system. If you want to go past that... It gets real freaky pretty quick. But you sit in the middle of a unit where there's an atmospheric protection for you to breathe and have life. And if it just moves the least little bit out of orbit, you're done. And we worry about things that we really shouldn't worry about. You know, I, I don't like to say this because it's, I don't think it's great theology because you would say, well, God is in control of everything. He's not in control of everything. If he was, he'd fix it all right now. We all understand that, right? But it's a good little song. We used to sing as kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, you know, we've seen as kids anyway. Maybe you didn't. But um, he's got you and me, brother, innocent, you and me, innocent. You remember that song? Okay, maybe not. Teach you another day. But he, did, you know, he, he upholds the whole world by the, word of his, by the word of his power. Yes. He's not in control of everything. If he was, there wouldn't be wars in Ukraine. He'd stop it. You understand? Some things he's... He doesn't have control of right now. My point in telling you that is um, this earth is held together by the power of his word because he set it in motion by the power of his word. 
And if it weren't for that, this thing would just incinerate. That to me is enough to re, it goes beyond climate, that goes beyond wars, that goes beyond anything. Like, wow. God, you're, you're amazing. He asked him another question. He says, where's the way that light is divided or the east wind scattered on the earth? In other words, can you divide light, Joe? Do you know where the wind come from? He says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or lose the cords of Orion? Referring to the solar system and stars. And, and <clears throat> Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with the satellites? Referring to more stars and constellations. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? And then he asked Joe, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Obviously, after that, Job, he didn't say anything else. He was done talking after that. You know, sometimes, guys, we think about all this stuff that's going on around us. We have all these issues that we're so afraid of and all these issues that bother us and all these things that, that really get to us. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing those. They really are real. But when you put into context the power of what he has done through creation... And you see the universe for what we actually have knowledge of, the, le- the little bit that we do know of, that you have been given life here on the planet by God. And if it weren't for him, there would be no planet. But we worry about things that really we have no control over. We are concerned about things we cannot fix or change. And it is consuming us. And that's why Jesus said, take no thought for your life. What shall you eat? What shall you drink? What shall you wear? For these things consume the hearts and the minds of the Gentiles. It means those without a covenant. He's referring to the fact you have a covenant. I know he's talking to Israelis and Jews at the time, but you have a covenant now too. You've been brought in, grafted in. But these things dominate the minds of Gentiles or unbelievers. As a believer, as a person of faith, you may go through difficulty, but God is good. And he's with you even in your difficulties. So, as we move forward, one of the most important things I think we need to understand as Christians is this. For a good foundation, we need an understanding of God when we don't have understanding. We've got to go back to trusting God again. Believe, as Jesus would say, believe in his words. He would say it this way, believe in my words. If you believe in the miracles, that's great, but don't believe in the miracles for the miracles sake. Believe in my words. What he's doing, he's contrasting, saying, I know people are amazed when they see miracles, and that's fantastic. And that's great. But a miracle shouldn't move you more than his word. A miracle is a confirmation of his word. Do you understand? Miracles, signs, wonders, anything that God does is all an effect of his word. And so he says, believe his word, trust him for his word. So now we're going to move on. All right, so in 2 Timothy 4, 3, we laid this out last week, and now we're going to build on it a little bit. Why is this so important to have an understanding of God's word in times of things where things are shaking? Because Timothy, or Paul told Timothy, who was a young pastor at the time, and he says, listen, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, which is what we need, but they want to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance, watch this, to their own desires. That means they want to hear what they want to hear. This is why God's word is such a challenge to us at times when you come to church. Because you can go online and listen to a podcast. You can click on your favorite preacher or Bible study or anything else you want, and you can skip the parts you don't like. But when you come to church, you can check me out if you want to. But you can't control what I'm saying. You can't put me on pause. You go to a church, you can't stop somebody from speaking. 
And so therefore, God challenges us many times in his word, in his church, because it's not something we want to hear. You can't skip it. I don't really want to hear that today. I'll skip over that. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Those are fun. I love them. I mean, very rarely do I go and find podcasts that say, how to be a better dad and a better husband, even though you think you're a good one right now. Because when you click on that, you're going to hear some stuff that says, like, yeah, you do this right, do that right. And then they really hit you square in the eyes. You're like, oh, man. I'm just like, you want to hear, like, oh, yeah, that favor message is great. Yeah, God loves me. He's for me. You know, if nobody else is for you, God's for you. He's in your corner. All that stuff is wonderful and it's true. But I just don't go seeking out the kind of messages on my own that say, hey, you know what? Here's how you need to shore up your life in this area. No one does. But God will challenge you many times in his word through his church. So he says, they will go after their own desires or things that that tickle their ears. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth. And this is interesting. They will turn aside to myths. Myths. Like, you know, people used to call it old wives' tales or whatever. Right? You've heard those before? Myths. Like, you know, okay, I get it. Maybe you believe in Bigfoot. Whatever. If you do, and you've never seen him, and yet you struggle with believing in God, come on. Like, I've been to the north side of, of, of the Loch Ness. We looked for that little sea monster, Okay? Look for it. it. It was perfect weather. It was cloudy, rainy, just like those pictures, you know. I looked for the humps, looked for Nessie, never saw her anywhere. Never. There's a guy there, though, who's parked his little caravan out there, gave up his girlfriend, everything, his job, everything in life, moved there just to spot and watch for Nessie. His whole life, he's believed in something he has never seen, and yet we struggle with believing God. But we'll chase a myth. And don't you find that interesting? And I just gave you indications of, like, the earth would just vaporize if it moved very much out of its solar system. But, whoa, boy, that Loch Ness thing must be real. That Bigfoot, oh, it's real. Bigfoot's real. Okay. Or the Kraken, you know? Oh, these stories, the monsters of the deep, or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to pick, right? You know what I'm saying, myths. They, they will turn us... They turn from the truth, God's word, to myths. These are believers. But you, Timothy, you be sober in all things, endure hardship, and do the work of evangelists and fulfill your ministry. So what he's saying is, is listen, you've got to be sober in all things. Be steady. Like, when someone's not sober, they're not steady. They're, you know, tipsy, right? Ah. But you be sober in all things. It means don't get pulled into this stuff and get your mind all bumfuzzled because of something someone's telling you. Go back to God's word. Then he says, you're going to have to endure hardship. As a believer, you're not excluded from hardship. When you go through difficulties, that's why you need God's word, right? But he doesn't put that off either. He also says, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. It means this. Listen, whenever I get shaken, whenever things start bothering me and I'm getting too consumed with what I'm seeing around me, I need to go back to the mission in which God gave me. You're going to face hardship. You're going to have issues. But he's not, he's not excluded. He says, look, you still got to fulfill your calling and do ministry. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. It means all of us are called to go and proclaim the gospel in some form or another. We're all called to reach people with the gospel of Christ in some form or another. And if the world has consumed you to the point where you're so fearful about the shaking that you're seeing around you, it's time to go back to the original mission. 
And ask yourself, am I a part of his mission or am I consumed by the fear that I see in the world? Which one is more stronger in my life right now? Because if you get consumed with this mission, you'll start forgetting about the world. It'll get your heart again. You'll start saying, you know what, my neighbor, yeah, you know what, that neighbor over there that you don't like because they leave their trash out or whether they kick it across your yard or whatever you don't like about them, that, you know, they don't talk to you or whatever, issues, issue, issue. But they don't know Jesus and you know it. Let that get your heart again. Let that mission get you again versus, oh man, you know what, I wish they would clip their hedges and make their yard look like mine. Well, what if you were to get a couple of people from the church Grab some yard tools, and when your neighbor's not at home, you go over there and snip the hedges and do all this stuff and make it look nice and leave a note and say, Jesus loves you. Just wanted to bless you, my friend. Have a great day. Okay, don't like that. <laughs> it's got to get your heart again, right? Don't let the world consume you so much. So it's what a sound doctrine needs to be accurate, conceived as being free from infirmity or disease. It's got to be healthy. Healthy. Not everything about God is a bless me message. Sometimes it's a conviction message. Sometimes it's a challenging message. Sometimes it's me getting back on mission of what God's asking me to do. And when things are shaken, you don't ignore the foundations, guys. In the last couple of years, listen, we've had a shakening. Now, you might be one of those kind of people who says, not me, I'm stable as a rock. Okay, well, you're the only one. Okay? You're the only one. And, you know, see me after church, and you, I'll let you run some stuff, okay? Because you, since you've got it all together. There's not one person I know that's that stable. We have all had questions, challenges, things that have hit us that have made us really stop and go, man, what is going on? Whenever you have a shake, and if there's an earthquake in California, they don't just ignore it. They go and examine the structure and the foundations to make sure it's still good. They're built for it. They can handle it, but they go back to inspect it. You know, you don't ignore structures after earthquakes. You examine it. And so one of the things that Paul tells us in Hebrews, I think it was Paul, wrote Hebrews. He said in Hebrews 5.1, you can write this down or click. Well, I guess you can't click it. You're going to have to just listen. <laughs> so for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts, sacrifices for sins, he can, Jesus, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided, since he himself is also beset with weaknesses. So listen, he's referring to uh, earthly high priests, but I'll get into that in just a moment with, with what Jesus went through. But what does it mean to be ignorant? I told you this last week real quick. Ignorant means you don't know something. There are many. We're all ignorant in some way with God. It's not a negative term. It could be, but the truth of the matter is we all have a lack of knowledge about something with God. Every one of us do. But then he says the misguided is to be deceived. It means to be misled, to be deceived. And guys, here's what's so important I want you to hear today as we move forward in this. He shifts from just talking about being misguided or deceived or ignorant. And he puts the focus now on believers. Now, if you're not a believer in here, I'm gonna, I'd love to pray with you at the end of church. But if you're in here right now, this is really important as a person of faith. Like there's no, you don't get off the hook with anything I'm about to say. Not one of us do right now. So, so listen very carefully to what he says. He then shifts over. James says this, as we refer to this, James says in James chapter 5, verse 19, he says, my brethren, now that is talking to Christians, my brethren, if any among you stray from the truth, before going any further, if any among you strays from the truth, that tells me it is possible to do it. Y'all with me, right? 
He would not say if anyone strays from the truth if it wasn't possible. Please don't ever think you're immune from this. The person who feels like they're immune from getting off track or they can't, you're in pride. And pride will lead you down a road you do not want to go down. Better to stay humble before the Lord and say, you know what, thanks be unto God. Thank you, Lord, you've kept me. Thank you, Lord, you've preserved me. Thank you, Lord, for guiding me. Don't ever get in a place where I'm so good that I can't fall. Uh, You know who that sounds like, right? Yeah, he's in Isaiah. He fell like lightning, Jesus said. Bam, hit the earth. Just like the bolt we saw this morning to hit the building, I guess. I don't know what it was. But anyway, he fell quick. So James says, if any among you strays from the truth, and watch this, he says, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Interesting. Paul uh, says this in a couple of different places. But in Galatians, he says this. Um, you, in Galatians 16, write it down. You who are spiritual. Let, let me say it again. You who are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Lest you yourselves be tempted. So the indicator that he says here, and there's another one in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, it says, he who is spiritual appraises all things, but is appraised by none. In other words, it means he evaluates things. Spiritual people take the time to look around and say, man, look, there's some people that are shaking over here. There's some people that have fallen away. There's some people that have some issues over here. And they look at them and they say, you know what? How could I, God help me? Is it possible to help them be restored? That's what a spiritual person does. See, a spiritual person isn't someone who can correct every little doctrinal error in your life. A spiritual person isn't someone who can quote 400 different verses of the Bible, give you 300 posts a day, tell you about all the little things about the Greek and the Hebrew and the, oh, this, the Jewish heritage of this and that and the other. That's fine, but that's not a spiritual person. They may have a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't make them spiritual. I mean, a lot of people can quote a lot of things to me, but I'm telling you something, they're not spiritual people. Spiritual people go back and say, how can I snatch them out of hell? Spiritual people take the initiative. A spiritual person goes beyond just talk and reading their Bible and say, you know what, that neighbor over there, yeah, their hedges look awful. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to re- I'm going to, they are my prayer. I'm going to reach them in Jesus' name. That's what spiritual people do. Okay? Good. Great. Thanks for the encouragement. Praise the Lord. Don't like any of this. I can tell. Man, I wish the screen was on. This would be a lot easier. <laughs> Holy moly. If, you're, if you think that people can't fall or stumble away, um, I would just say look at the last three years. And if you build your life on sand, it will fall. Guys, please, if you ever heard anything I've ever said to you before in my life, listen to these words. If you're going to build your life, build it on the rock. Please don't build on things that shift. It, it never lasts. It never lasts. So Peter says this, 1 Peter 2.25, You were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It means people can go away and they can be brought back though. And those of us who are spiritual, that's our job. Now, before I go any further with this, um, I want to share a little bit with you about Jesus and how he dealt with some of these things and his encounter with this very thing of the trials, the pressures, the shaking that was going on around him. If you don't think Jesus dealt with any of that, if you feel like, well, no, he was the son of God, and so, 
You know, he had a mission and he, he just stayed steadfast. He did. He did not sin. He stayed on mission. Yes, he did. But all you have to take a moment is read the Garden of Gethsemane and, and just see the struggle. He in all ways, the Bible says, was tempted just like you. But he did not sin. I want to make sure we hear that. He did not sin. He was sinless. But he, you can't be tempted. You know what I'm saying? He can't be challenged with it if he wasn't tempted. He was tempted in all manner. I mean, you understand, when we see things like the woman at the well, and given her, her, you know, the history that you see about what was going on there and his conversation, you understand, you don't think God's the enemy tried to put some bugs in his ear? There's nobody around. She's pretty. Oh, I, oh, I can't believe you would say that, Pastor. That's Jesus. He's so, I, I didn't say he sinned. I didn't say he did anything wrong. I said, do you not think the enemy tried to put bugs in his ear? There's nobody here. He, in all ways, he was tempted. I mean, the devil took him out and tempted him three different times. Through all the different areas that you and I would have been tempted in as well. And in every way, Jesus came back to the one solid thing that I'm telling you about right now. is He put it on the line and said, no, it is written. He didn't wave a magic wand. He didn't do a miracle. He didn't tell him to shut up. He went to the word every single time and said, get behind me. Here's what the word says. Every single time. So when we go back to Hebrews real quick, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, let's look at what Jesus, how he, his example for us. Okay? Hebrews 5, 3, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 3. It says, because of this or because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. Talking about the high priest. As for the people, so also himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Watch this, verse 5. So now he's going to say, just like the high priest in, in the Old Testament, or just the high priest that he's talking about, so like him, Jesus Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, or called him, you are my son, Today I have begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now listen to me very carefully. It may be the best that the projector is off so you can actually hear the inflection of my voice and and focus on what I'm saying. In the days of his flesh, Jesus was a man. He is referred to as the son of man out of Daniel and other places. He called himself the son of man. He was in human form. He was God fully, but he was also man. Okay, but without sin. But he had real, this was a real flesh he had. He wasn't in sin, he wasn't born in sin, but he, it was there, he was in, in the flesh. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications, watch this, with loud crying and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. He offered up crying, loud crying, and tears. Why would he do that? Man, when you read the Garden of Gethsemane, the encounter there, the pressure, when it says that, that and I can't pronounce the word, you could look it up later, but the sweats, when he sweated, the drops of blood. Perspiration is a medical condition. It, it, it can happen to people. It is under extreme duress or stress. It's when it happens. And I, it's a long word, scientific, uh, medical term. You go look at it. But it, it comes out the pores uh, of someone's skin. He sweat drops of blood. 
perspiration converted and blood was being released. The duress that he was under, the stress, the anxiety, all that pressure on him. You say, no, you, if you can't accept this about your Christ, this might be why you're so shaken sometimes. Because you think he was beyond, so far beyond you, he didn't know what it was like, and he's removed from it. I'm just telling you, he was not. He wept. It's a real emotion. He, he wept at the tomb of life. He when, when you read and look at the encounter with what he was talking to Mary on the, on the cross, his mom, he looks at John and says, Behold, woman, your son. Behold, son, your mother. He, like to release his mom and know that was it. That was a real emotion. He wasn't always, he experienced life just like you. Yes, without sin, because he had to be your savior. But he knows what it's like to go under great duress and stress. He cried out with great tears and loud crying to the one able to save him from death. The reality of what he said on the cross when he said, My Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God, and I know some people are probably don't like this terminology. I'm going to say it anyway, but because it makes sense logically. He who became sin right? Who knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It was an exchange. My God, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden, that relationship was cut off. Why? Because he was taking upon himself sin on the cross. Therefore, sin cannot have communion with God. What relationship does Baal have with Christ? It's cut off. All that idol worship, all the ungodliness, all the sexual immorality in their region, all the everything you thought was going wrong was becoming placed on him, and he was removed from relationship with, with the Lord. So he's on his own, and it's almost like God just looks down and does this. Turns his back on him. And for the first time ever, it's gone. He, he cried, hey, this was a real thing. He cried out to God, trusting God that God had the power to resurrect him from the dead after three days. Real emotion, real stress, real anxiety, real removal. Where is God? You think we don't have the, where is God in this? Why did this happen? What's wrong with me? Jesus experienced the very same thing. And why is that so important, Pastor? Because he goes further into this and he says, And although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things for which he suffered. Now, I am not of the camp that says, Well, you know, if you got sick, God did it to teach you a lesson. I don't believe that's ridiculous. There's too many scriptures that give you promises from God. So let's just put that one to the side, okay? But man, if you're driving down the road in your car, and, you know, you hit something. Man, why did God let me hit this thing in the road? Well, I'm not, I don't think God let you hit something. I don't know if that's grammatically right, let you hit. I, say, I don't think God just let you hit. You have a choice. You have a car. But like with us right now, I'm not letting Haley drive at night because we have two headlights that went out. So common sense, I need to go fix headlights before she drives at night again, right? If I let her drive at night, and we were driving last night, coming back, and I was driving, but it was dusky dark, not dark dark, but dusky. 
And I saw this car swerve around something. I couldn't see what it was. But I slowed down because I'm like, there's something there. I can't, I got fog lights on all, but it's not going out far enough. I get up there and you know what it was? I thought it must be something bad. This guy just, you know, it was a, you know, probably one of them boys threw his stuff out. Sack of fast food sitting on the road, you know? Oh man, could have been worse. But if I were to hit it, is it God's fault? No. I mean, if I get on an airplane and my baggage is, you know, lost, is it his fault? No. You know, I used to get real frustrated with this kind of stuff. Man, if my car, if you get out here today and your car won't start, your battery is dead because you left the lights on. Is the response, man, God, why does this stuff keep happening to me? You left the lights on. That's not his problem. But we have jump box. We can help you out, okay? We'll get you jump started, okay? But the reality is there's other things that go beyond that that you can't put answers to. And I do, and I understand that. You know, I got plenty on my own. This last cup here, I got enough, okay? I'm not going to get you into my little whirlwind, okay? But I've got close friends. It's like I have had just, it, it really, it rocked me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It rocked me. And my best friend who died, and one of my best friends, he, uh, through COVID, so whenever I hear people say, oh, it's just fake, it bothers me. Because I have a friend who died from it. And I don't, I don't care about the politics of it. I'm just saying, you can say it's not real, whatever. I mean, when you have someone that, you know, doesn't make it, it's real. It kind of hits you pretty hard. Now, I ain't getting into politics. That's all crazy stuff, right? But, you know, be sensitive to somebody that maybe, whatever, it's kind of real in some things. I had another friend, ministry friends, died in an airplane crash. People that I love dearly. Another friend, life cut short, cancer. Fought hard, man, five years of hell on earth. That's all in less than, I think, less than two years' time. Now, you might say, well, I've had people die too. I, I, I'm not, this is not a comparison. But I will be honest with you, it, it kind of, it, it, it messed with me a little bit. I've had to really, you know, really take some time and seek the Lord on some of this. It can happen. You can, your mind can play tricks on you. You can, but the reality is, if I look at it and say, well, Jesus never experienced what I've gone through, then I can't connect with him relationally to help, get help from him. And the Bible says this, he's a very present help in time of need. If you don't believe he's been through what you've been through, it's hard to request help from him. Isn't it hard to ask somebody for help when they act like they've never had a problem? Have you ever noticed that? There's people like, they have never have issues, right? Do you ever go to the person, like you've had a struggle financially, right? And you've had a hard time making ends meet, but there's two groups of people. There's one group, they say, well, the Lord has always blessed me. I never have a problem. I never had a struggle. I, I just always, every time, had everything I need. Or you go to the person who's like, I've been through a really tough time financially. It broke me almost, but God brought me through, and here's how he did it. Which one are you going to listen to? Second one, why? Because it's real. This is not real over here. So Jesus is saying to you, he's been there. He's done it. And he says this, concerning him, we have much to say concerning Jesus. This is in verse 11. And it is hard to explain the things about Jesus since, watch this, you have become dull of hearing. Very interesting terms. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You have need again for someone to teach you the very elementary principles of the oracles of God. He said, for this time, by this time, these things are hard to explain, and I want to tell you about them, but I can't because you become dull of hearing. For by this time, you ought to have been teachers. So we had this uh, professor, and I'm going to wrap up with these last little thoughts here. Our instructor, I forget what we call him in, in Bible college. I don't know what you're supposed to call him anymore. Um, but um, he did this study one time, and so his thing was on the timeline of spiritual development. And the thing that he did, he based on uh, the mappings of Paul's missionary journeys, one, two, and three. And so he did the timeline research on it, and I thought it was very good research. Um, and he said, it seems as if Paul, from his first letter to Corinthians and his second, the two different times he told him, when I was with you before that timeline to the time he came back, he said, by this time, you ought to have grown. You ought to have been to a place where you can actually instruct others in the way of the Lord. He did a timeline research on it, and what he came to the conclusion was, it was a three-year window of time. So he began to teach us and say, listen, guys, that tells me then in the three-year window, you ought to be able to develop enough to actually teach others about Jesus within three years. That ought to be plenty of time. Well, we were in there, and while we were in there, that's, he first started this the first year there. And then he gets into it, uh, I think the second year, he comes back and talks to us again about this and says, okay, so I have to adjust my timeline because some little Bible college student, you know, gets in there and really starts getting after the timeline. He, which is good. Nothing wrong with studying. It's good. But he got so detailed on it. He couldn't prove it, but it just, the window expanded. So it went from three years, you know, up to almost seven. Okay, let's say seven years. So the guy had to adjust his, his message and he said, okay, but then seven years. Okay, fine. But by seven years, you ought to be to a place where you can teach others about the way of the Lord. So when, when, when Hebrews writes this, he says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach elementary principles of the oracles of God. He's saying there's a timeline in our lives spiritually where if we don't begin to use what we have, what we know, it is possible that we get dull of hearing. It's possible that we start looking at myths. It's possible that we pull away from the truth because we're not doing anything with what we know. Now, the parable of talents is all you've got to go read and understand that right there. If you don't use what you've been given, it, it can be removed from you and given to someone else who will use it. And I've seen enough of it to know that I think this is a very real thought. I'm not going to say doctrine, I'm going to say a thought as to why. God has gifted each one of us the ability to teach others about Jesus, share the gospel with them. What are we doing with that right now? I know it's a challenging thing to hear, but it's something that we all need to hear. So before I wrap up today on this, <clears throat> someone's going to probably look this up, and I want you to. It's good. Um, but real quick, as we wrap up on this, uh, Bruce is going to come up. We're going to pray for you guys, and then uh, we're going to pray for a school as well in a little bit. But um, when he refers to time, there are two words that explain are two definitions for time. One is chronos, which is like this. Back when I was a kid, Timex came out. Timex, take a licking and keep on ticking. You know, I don't know if you remember that, but anyway, the Timex watch. It was tough. Chronos is time. It's it's what's in motion right now. So some of you are thinking about right now. Your your time is actually consuming your thoughts right now. You're like, you know, you can't even relax because time. It's like you you just can't handle it. 
And you need to put time in its place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's needed, but it's not the most important thing. But time is a constant. It keeps moving. It's, it's moving forward. The planets, all that stuff. But then there's another word called kairos. Kairos is a set time. It's a season. There's two different words here that's used for this. Kairos is a season. It means there's seasons in your life where things go on and take place that you can't explain. There are seasons of refreshment and there are seasons of challenges. But with the Lord, a Kairos moment is a set appointed time that he sets aside for you where he wants to either reveal himself to you in a way that's different or unique or to step forward in something. It's a Kairos moment. It's a very real thing. And many of you in here, I guarantee you've had these before. It's the kind of moments where um, you tell me about your, one of your greatest spiritual experiences with God. And you probably can't tell me the date, maybe you can, or the time it happened, but you can tell me the season it happened in, and you can tell me why. It was a very impactful to you. It was a Kairos moment. It was something God did in your heart. It was a season. This, though, is referring to Kronos. It is the ability to take what you know and apply it every single day systematically so that you can grow to the point where you give it to somebody else. It's time. And sometimes I think with things that get shaken and things that uh, don't work, I think that sometimes we forget God might need us to do some things with the time that we have. So Kronos, the best way I can explain it to you uh, is this. When you start out eating as a little baby, there's some little uh, nursery babies in the back. I've seen them as I was walking by. You know, sometimes I, if, they're, um, if they're happy, I don't really mess them too much. If I can tell the nursery leaders are like kind of, you're like, oh, we're cool. Don't, don't mess with this kind of thing. Sometimes I seem like, hey, little baby. You know, like, you know, I do the goofy faces and all that stuff like all you guys do. Um, sometimes I don't. I don't want to mess with them if it make it worse. But when you see a little baby in there, you know, that little baby can't really do much for itself. It can't feed itself. It starts out with milk. And it goes from milk, and then you buy this, like, ungodly stuff in a jar for this baby. And we should all, you know, when I first started doing this, we fed Ava, we, we went from, you know, milk to this. When we first started, you know, you see that stuff and you think, well, it's, what's, it's, it's strained beef or whatever it is, right? It's pureed beef. I mean, think about that. It's disgusting. <laughs> Taste it and see if you would eat it. You wonder why babies spit that stuff out? It's disgusting. <laughs> you say, well, they've got to eat it. Well, you know, I mean, after we get tired of that mess, you just switch out and go get something else. Oh, she likes pears. <laughs> go buy a case of pears. That's all she's living on for the next week, you know? <laughs> you just... But after that, your kid gets older, they get a preschool age, and then what? You, you go through a place called McDonald's. It's completely unhealthy. And you buy them Happy Meals because that's cool. Or whatever it is now. I guess now Chick-fil-A is the place people go. You buy the kid's meal. And when they get their food, what do they get? They get the little box of chicken nuggets, fries, and a little drink, and a little toy or something. As they age, they start eating bigger portions. Same food. It's just bigger portions. But there comes a point in time where, like, your kid gets to a point where they transition from that to you're no longer handing them food. They learn to cook for themselves. Because they have to. 
Because you're not always going to be there to spoon feed them. It's a, they need to know how to at least make a sandwich. They should know how to do something, right? I mean, like, you know, we have three kids, so the la- we crack up with the youngest one. She's like a survivor, man. She's like, she hides food from the other ones, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> She, it's important to her. Like she knows she's the smallest, and so anyway, she'll make her little sandwiches, or whatever. It's important. You get to the point where you, then you're going to feed other people. That little child will grow from milk, baby food, small portion, bigger portions, to cooking, to learning to feed. Because one day they'll have their own kids, and they're going to have to feed them. If they don't know how to feed other people, then that means they can't feed themselves. And you say, well, Pastor Jody, what, what are you getting at this morning? I'm going to put it real blunt. Where are you at in that timeline of eating? Are you still milk, which is fine. If that's where you're at and you need that, that's good. Because you've got to grow. A new believer, a new Christian, you've got to grow, man. I, it's, you, it's, it's important. Baby food? Okay, no problem. That's fine. We're working on up. But look, can I just... If you've been serving Jesus for years and you're still on baby food, like people are feeding you baby food. I don't mean you're, you still have someone to have to feed you. It's time to move forward because there's other people that need feeding. Other people need help. And they, they need us to be the ones who go to preparing food and feeding others versus feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. It'll change the way we think about what we see that's shaking around us when we get back on mission with what we're called to do. Let the shaking take place, man. Let the shaking take place. If we're stuck on mission, it's not going to move us as much. But this morning, it's a challenge to know, but where are you at? And I want to leave that thought with you, and I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and we're going to pray. But it's a challenge. I know and understand. I understand. Well, Pastor Jody, what are you saying? You know exactly what I'm saying. Where are you at in this moment of your life? In the timeline of which you have been serving Jesus, do you still have to have someone feed you? Are you at the place right now? Because enough time's gone on where you can actually feed other people. Because if, if you can feed others and you don't, That's a responsibility that's on us as believers. Need to be able to do that. So this morning I want to pray for you. And as, as you're sitting there asking yourself this question, God, and be honest with the Lord right now. No sense in acting like something we're not. Let's just be honest with God right now. Lord, where am I at in this? Lord, I've been serving you for fill in the blank. How many years? God, you, you've... You've been so good to me, so good to my family. You've redeemed me. You've pulled me out of the pit. And Lord, I, I may not know everything. I may not know the whole Bible. I'm not a preacher. Maybe I'm not a minister. But God, I, I do know enough to share your gospel. I do know enough to help people who are struggling and, and trying to maybe hear from you or struggling in their walk. Where am I at right now, God? What am I doing with what you've given me? And it's okay, listen, if you're right now, if you're in a younger stage spiritually, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. Let's t- we're just going to grow a little bit. If, if you're on the other side, man, you, you, 
You've been eating out long enough. It's time for you to prepare for some other people. But time is a real thing. Kronos, it's, it's time to take a step forward in Jesus' name and let God help you and get our eyes off what's going on around us and back on what he's called us to do. So if you're in this room right now and you maybe don't know Jesus or you're watching online right now, you don't know Christ, listen, we want to pray for you right now. So what we're going to do is the whole church is going to pray with no one's going to look around, no one's going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you out. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you want to, you say, man, I'm, I'm tired of being afraid of what I see around me. I'm tired of being in fear of what the news says. I, I'm just tired of questioning everything around me. I, I, I really want Jesus in my life. I want him to be my Lord. I want you to pray this prayer with us as a whole church. We're going to pray. And as we do, you just repeat this after me. We're going to pray together right now. You're not going to be by yourself. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life. I give you my heart, and I make you my Lord. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, and I accept you as my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you. Right, George, you give me a hand right now. Amen. So, we have no digital interface right now working, so in the seat back in front of you, you have to go old school today. Um, there's a little card right there that says connect.cornerstonerome.com on it, or it says connect on it, something like that. If you want more information about the church, you're a guest with us. Thanks for coming out today. We'd love to meet you and talk to you after church and be down front. But if you want to know more about the church, we can send you anything. We'd love to do that for you. Just fill that out. You'll have to drop it in the offering boxes on your way out the door. Normally, you could do it online, but that's not going to work right now. So you can do it when you leave if you have cell phone service, but anyway... Uh, you can do that and drop off any of the offering boxes on your way out the door. Uh, before we go here, um, uh, let me just speak this over you before we leave. Um, out of Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And that's our prayer for you today in Jesus' name. God bless you guys so much. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.